You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Leading Innovation at Work. I'm Lori Rowlandson, your host, and I'm so delighted to be joined today by Harry French from ClimateWise Business Network. How are you doing today, Harry? Just fine, Lori. Thanks very much for inviting me to your Leading with Innovation at Work. Oh, it's it's really my pleasure. I'm really excited to hear about um, how your organization is helping forward progress with a topic that I know you and I are both very passionate about. So Harry and I met at a conference and he asked some great questions and we just started talking and then, you know, as, as these things happen, we just expanded our network and I was just so struck by Harry's passion for the topic of uh, climate crisis. And we agreed that it, we're going to stop calling it climate change. And it's really about climate yeah. crisis. Absolutely. And so one of the really great philosophical questions that we got into, that Harry will address a little bit later on, but that we rallied around and we really commiserated around was, why are we making progress faster? We know that there's a problem. Why, who's responsible? Why are things not moving fast enough? And, and one of the things that I agreed to do was to help advocate Harry's organization uh, to our audience because I feel so passionate about this topic. And anyone, if this message resonates with anyone, then it's been successful. So the more exposure we have, the more we can to help. You know, I talk a lot about practical innovation, Harry, about helping people take steps towards the future and what feels like really big, overwhelming topics. How can we actually break that down into things that somebody could do today? And um, anything that we can do to help people make any steps towards progress, I think, is is so important. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to learn from you and uh, your organization. Would you like to just share with us, um, just before we get into your presentation, you know, I'm always so interested in everyone's journey because the profession we're in now didn't really exist when we were kids, if you know what I mean. And I'm just so interested as to how did you end up here? Like what was your career path and how did you end up doing what you're doing now, Harry? Well, that's a, that's a, a question that would actually take up the whole presentation if we had uh, had time. So I, I won't do that for you, uh, but I, I am definitely not a millennial. Uh, so my story is probably a little bit longer, and uh, um, I'm probably very much certainly uh, uh, been around uh, in this world uh, uh, longer than than yourself. And I don't say that from a sort of a credi- credibility perspective, but just to sort of being uh, 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 respectful. Um, I'm I'm 72, um, and a lot of people wonder, well, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be retired uh, at this point in time? Well, you know, I kind of think the word retirement really is is uh, a misnomer. People are always had passion around uh, uh, wanting to do things differently. I have always had a passion around around that, and uh, I never saw myself stepping away from the world in any significant way. I've always been very much uh, uh, into a learning mode and wanted to contribute, wanted to be part of my community. And to to talk a little bit about that, uh, uh, I'll just say where I am now. And uh, where I came from, to answer your question, uh, Laurie, uh, uh, right now I work for a not-for-profit uh, environmental organization uh, anchored in uh, York region in the town of Aurora, 
called the Windfall Ecology Center. And I had a business uh, unit here called the ClimateWise Business Network, which in a short story um, helps local businesses manage their energy, uh, uh, energy consumption with the explicit objective of reducing greenhouse gases uh, to address the climate crisis that we're, uh, we are currently confronting. So I'm gonna to talk to you more about that. I'm gonna to talk to you about some of the challenges that we're having. Uh, but let me talk to you first of all, uh, where, where, I, where I'm coming from. I'm gonna use my slides to, to help me guide through some of this, but we'll do it in, a, in an informal way. Um, and you can see from the picture I've got here that uh, um, I wanna be informal in my discussion and my path. So uh, when I just was embarking on my sustainability journey, although like you said, Laura, I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but I had uh, just started to do a master's in regional planning at the University of Guelph. And I did that uh, uh, with a scholarship from the National Park Services here in Canada uh, for two years, uh, uh, $4,000 a year, which was a huge amount of money in 1972. Uh, and I embarked upon a, uh, um, a master's program, my first master's program, building on my, uh, grad, building on my degree in forestry from the University of Toronto. So it was all about uh, how to plan for uh, a regional planning from an economic development perspective, from a park's point of view. Uh, and it was an exciting uh, start to my adventure um, at the University of Guelph. Lots of things happened to me. Spent a bunch of time uh, working in various provincial organizations. And uh, one day, uh, as the slide at the top shows, uh, I was uh, on the middle of an ice flow in the Pankerton Sound, north of the Arctic, circle uh, and that's me uh, uh, having a cup of tea on an ice floe that was probably about 10 by 20 a little boat uh, in the Pangaton Fjord and that's just south of uh, Aiwitak National Park uh, uh, in Canada's Arctic and I'm looking around and uh, even then I'm seeing this, I'm starting to see how the world is changing and, and getting more concerned about that change and its impact upon in that particular time the Inuit people uh, uh, on Baffin Island. That was part of the journey. Um, I took a number of jobs uh, after that. Uh, I was vice president of planning at a company called Marshall Macklin Monaghan, which was a major engineering firm uh, in, the, uh, in the Toronto area. Uh, planning, uh, land use planning was my role, building on the master's degree. But I also got a lot involved in uh, uh, strategic planning from an economic development point of view with a particular focus on tourism. And that took me to be assistant deputy minister of uh, tourism in the province of Ontario. Actually, it was kind of a funny time for me because at the same time when the uh, New Democrats here in Ontario had uh, a power uh, in the provincial legislature for a brief period of time. And I always remember I walked into the door as an assistant deputy minister of tourism at the same time that the, the minister of tourism for the NDP, Peter North, uh, walked in the other end of the door and started to a real tumultuous journey at that point in time. Um, after that time with the Ontario government, I joined the Conference Board of Canada uh, in Ottawa. I was there for about 10 years and uh, uh, again, spending a lot of time in the tourism sector, but uh, I could start to see, given the Conference Board's role in bringing people together, uh, bringing business executives together to talk about uh, critical topics around human resources, around uh, economic planning and around very much uh, sustainability in the, the environment. So the, the topic of sustainability in that those words started to come up as I was with the conference board. Uh, 
the nice part about the conference board is that they were really focused on helping their professional staff learn. So at that point in time, I uh, took a second master's degree at the University of Concordia in uh, Montreal, and it was called a master's in human systems intervention. So how to work with people in organizations, how to work with people in community. Uh, it was a full-time degree that I did while I was working. Um, we might call it organizational development today. That was in 2002. Uh, so it wasn't all that long ago, but uh, it was my second, uh, second degree. And I turned that uh, degree into a, a totally new career shift. Uh, I ended up working for companies like uh, Bombardier Canada, uh, coaching executives on uh, issues in their organization, working with teams, working with groups, and got really quite good at uh, uh, facilitating people working together, uh, facilitating conversations, facilitating dialogue. In fact, uh, at our conference board, I set up a business called Facilitating Dialogue, and we did a lot of interesting work in a whole range of topics, and it didn't matter to me at the time what the content was in terms of the subject matter, uh, what mattered to me was the process to bring people together to collaborate, uh, to take action, to do things uh, in, our, in our world that were beneficial to the organization and beneficial to the people that were in the organization. I left that uh, organization probably around 2005, 2006, because I was anxious to get back to uh, uh, where I was, uh, my family was, uh, although I have a Newfoundland heritage. Uh, I was born in the Toronto area and I wanted to get back to York region. So I took a job with a group called Group Conseil CFC out of Montreal to open up their Toronto office. Uh, uh, and that's when we did a lot of the work with uh, Bombardier, the RCMP, Canada Post and so on. After five or six years with that organization, um, I decided to leave. I wanted to do something different. Uh, and I thought, here's an opportunity of bringing my environmental passion that I had back in 1972 with my first master's degree in, uh, in the National Park Service Scholarship and my ability to work with uh, people and organizations. And I took a job with the Ontario Sustainable Energy Association, uh, which really focused on renewable energy, and more specifically, bringing communities of people together to own renewable energy projects in their community to generate renewable energy from wind power or from solar power. I had a vision for myself uh, before I got that job. Uh, I focused on it. I, uh, I wrote myself out a vision statement, decided what I want to do, and I found myself working for OSEA, um, building community energy cooperatives. In fact, I set up a number of cooperatives throughout Ontario, uh, one in my own community, which at the end of the day didn't work, uh, but I took a certificate course at the University of York in cooperative management, and we built a number of cooperative organizations across Ontario. One that I'm still involved with down in the Woodstock uh, area, uh, where it's a 10 megawatt wind project, uh, which I'm part owner that's generating renewable energy uh, uh, through, uh, through wind resources. Uh, but that wasn't enough for me. I, I wanted to do something more. Uh, when I left OSEA, when it stopped, we ran out of money, frankly, as a not-for-profit. And I was introduced to the Windfall Ecology Center, which I generally knew of here in Aurora. They wanted somebody to help head the Climate Wise program. And I, I said, I'm in, this is a way of me to uh, facilitate climate change, to address the climate change crisis in our, uh, in our community and a way to do real on the ground action. So I started uh, in the environment and I'm ending up in the environment uh, um, and it's been a long and exciting journey. That's a remarkable story. And 
One of the things I really applaud you for is reinventing your career and your career path as our profession has become more sophisticated. And I think your, the experience of your journey and the transferable skills that you learn is going to become even more so relevant in the next decade. I mean, there's some really wild statistics out there like 80% of the technologies we'll be using by 2030 haven't been invented yet. And I talk to HR professionals all the time and they say that, you know, we, you and I kind of have maybe one or two related career professions. Well, Gen Zs are probably going to have two or three completely different career paths and it's all enabled by technology. So enabling, like reinventing yourself, being brave enough to cross into a different career stream, I think is something that is, um, you've certainly demonstrated that in your amazing career path, but will become even more relevant. So thank you for sharing that. That's quite a, quite a personal and interesting story, Harry. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, I, I cherish the opportunity to be able to talk about it. Uh, it's only in reflection where you really realize just, wow, those are some big changes you made in uh, in a period of time. And of course, while all that was happening, I was uh, with my wife, Joanna, raising uh, uh, two young daughters. Well, that should have been really easy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it, you know, it's a big responsibility to support your family and work with your family and, and uh, as well as, you know, continue with your career and make changes. So I really congratulate you for having such an incredible, like obviously work-life integration as well as progression in your career. So, so yeah, tell us I mean, a little bit more, tell us a little bit more about your organization and what you do and just, I'd love to hear, you know, just continue our conversation that we had back at that other conference. So, around how like how you feel we're progressing are we progressing fast enough what could we do to speed up and just some of those questions i'd just love to hear your thoughts and opinion and any advice that we have uh, you have on how to make steps forward faster yeah well uh, my my question to you uh and i was so happy to meet you at uh, at the toronto uh, innovation event and in fact i also met the uh, uh, uh mrs dickerson who was the uh uh, Vice President or, or General Manager of SodaStream, uh, and I've since bought a SodaStream uh, uh, dispenser, which my wife loves. Uh, but my question to, to all the panelists at the time was, why is it so difficult getting businesses involved in, in this task? Uh, particularly small and medium-sized businesses, businesses under 500 uh, employees. Some, some of the larger organizations have the resources and the and the wherewithal and the requirement from a, a governance perspective to, to be thinking about sustainability in a, in a much more corporate way. But SMEs are just having a real challenge. So that was my, my question to you. And, and you, you uh, um, took up the, 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 the tired, I guess, the sword. To, and uh, here I am today talking to you about it. My hope was really to uh, get some, some advice. Uh, uh, get some suggestions that maybe I haven't thought about. And that's kind of what, what my, my, my career has always been about is I, I'm kind of willing to ask the, uh, the vulnerable question because I don't always know the answer. Uh, so uh, reaching out and asking that is important. Answer your question, uh, what does ClimateWise do? Um, again, we're a not-for-profit. We're not a consulting organization. Um, I've got some slides to talk about this a little bit, but I don't want to go there right now with them. Uh, because it might get in the way of what I'm going to talk about here overall in terms of my presentation. Uh, but we basically work with businesses in York region, helping them from a coaching perspective, 
from a facilitation perspective to join our organization as members and to make some changes, to take some action that will reduce their use of energy, ultimately reducing greenhouse gases uh, in our environment and addressing some of the uh, challenges of, the, uh, of, of climate change. We do that in lots of different ways, and I'm going to uh, uh, talk to you about that later on. But my, my real challenge as I kind of move to my, my, my next slide is that if I want to use business language, we need to stay competitive. And Ontario is changing. Uh, it, we're going to look pretty different in 2050. And, and I have to admit to something here, uh, this slide that you see the little kind of symbol picture, uh, which kind of portrays what Ontario might look like in 2050, actually comes from the former Liberal government's uh, cap and trade um, program, which is no longer here in Ontario. But uh, uh, we're going to see something like this again in the future because we're going to have to make some changes and we're going to have to do it soon. And we're all going to have to get on board. And for businesses, it's about staying competitive. We're going to look uh, uh, different in 2015 if we're going to avoid the worst of the climate crisis uh, uh, or the consequence of the climate crisis that we're seeing in Australia. And in fact, even as I say to you, Laurie, this past weekend, where uh, in my home in Stouffville, our, our basement uh, got flooded uh, because there was a, a record rainfall that uh, we've never seen before. And we're going to see more of that. But businesses aren't acting, particularly again, the SMEs, they're just not acting. And I've been thinking about this a lot and wondering just why is that? Uh, what's happening here? What are other people thinking about it? And so this little discussion with you today is giving me an opportunity to think a bit more of why aren't businesses acting? Why aren't they acting on this climate crisis that we're seeing visually in front of us all the time? I always like using cartoons uh, and uh, I, I thought about it uh, in the last, uh, well, I had been thinking about this for a long time, but sort of kind of put it together for this discussion today. I think one of the major reasons is it's not my problem. And people are saying to themselves, what can I do anyhow? And I look at a little cartoon on the, on the uh, right-hand side here, and I'm, I'm sure glad the hole isn't in our end. I mean, that's not sustainable. <laughs> that boat's gonna go down uh, no matter what we do. Uh, uh, bailing out is, is uh, helpful, but fixing the problem uh, needs to happen uh, sooner than later. So yeah, there's no recognition of that, uh, uh, that it, there really is some ownership over the problem. Uh, people have not taken ownership yet. They seem to want to look at, look at others to, to solve it. We also have an issue of what I call the tyranny of short-termism. You know, I, I thought about this and I was gonna say the tyranny of the bottom line, but then I thought, oh, people aren't gonna like that because this has always gotta be about the, the competitive piece of things, about uh, economic uh, opportunities. Um, but there is this short-termism that, that we are naturally inclined to. People have difficulty envisioning the possibilities uh, of the future. Uh, so we default to what's in front of us. And usually what's in front of us is things that we consider to be urgent, the bottom line, the problem with the employee, uh, whatever the issue might be, uh, and we kind of forget the important stuff. That is, how do we save our environment for our children? Uh, I have a six-year-old grandson and a four-year-old grandson, and quite frankly, Laurie, that's what makes me passionate about this. That's why I want to do something about it, because the world they're going to inherit is going to be a world that is, is uh, very difficult to live in if we don't do something about it ourselves. On a more practical level, uh, to answer your question, I work with a lot of organizations in my community 
and a lot of businesses, and they are part of a building. Um, they're a business that was within the building. They might be 100 employees or 150 employees, and they're leasing space within the building. In fact, I know in our own community, probably 50% of the space is all lease space. Uh, uh, so often we get, it's not my building, I lease the space, what can I do? Uh, you turn to the landlord and say, it's not my problem, it's the tenant's problem. So there seems to be a whole pile of pass in the buck and nobody is really interested uh, in landing on a solution. And the other issue I think we're dealing with uh, in a practical basis is that uh, people want to be told what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Uh, uh, and I hear this thing about tools, tips and techniques. Uh, um, I need an answer now from you, but you know, if you don't take ownership of the solutions, if you don't engage in the solution yourself, if you don't identify some of the things that you can do, and I'm gonna talk about a few things that uh, you can do later on, uh, then without ownership, uh, ultimately the problem really doesn't get solved. So the things we're gonna talk a bit about today relate to uh, how do we get business to act uh, and, and what are some of the tools that we, uh, we may be able to use. Laurie, do you, any questions on that or you want me to just to kind of keep on going? No, it sounds terrific so far, Harry, and really practical for the audience. It's as right, right where I was hoping you would go. So thank you. Keep going. Great. Okay. Well, you just jump in here anytime you want to, I uh, will. to ask something. So I've already talked about the Climate Wise Business Network. It's part of the Windfall Ecology Center uh, here in the town of Aurora. And uh, Windfall has been around for 20 years, uh, uh, servicing York Region, a whole range of activities from uh, uh, rainwater conservation to healthy kids programs uh, uh, to actually working with a, an indigenous group up on Georgina Island to uh, investigate the possibility of a wind farm up there. Started uh, 20 years ago by uh, a gentleman, Brent Copperson, who is still the executive director uh, and major driver of the organization. Uh, he decided that uh, uh, we needed to find a way of working uh, with uh, uh, local businesses and organizations in York Region and took advantage of a program that was uh, offered by a group called Green Economy Canada. They actually have uh, a group of uh, seven hubs, we're all called hubs, uh, Green Economy Canada hubs, dominantly in Ontario, looking to expand in New Brunswick and uh, a little bit out west, uh, but uh, we're a network of organization. Uh, like what I'm trying to preach today or talk about today, uh, we share stories, we share case studies, we share best practices uh, between each other and then want to share them uh, with, our, with our members in our community. The slide here gives you a little bit of uh, an outline as to where we are located in Ontario. We all kind of operate the same way. We all have a framework to work with our local members and uh, we, we do this in a way that uh, celebrates their accomplishments. Um, the hubs are actually organizations that uh, are set up with all of them within not-for-profits. So they, they might be in different kinds of organizations in Ottawa or in Kingston, but they're all housed in a, a not-for-profit uh, environment. None of them are out there to, to make oodles of money. They're just out there to do, do the right thing. So ClimbaWise is a program of, of local organizations, uh, as I said earlier on, dominantly small and medium-sized enterprises, as well as some government organizations as well. We have a number of the area municipalities who are members here. Um, they all receive support uh, and guidance in setting environmental targets 
and seeing the returns of investing in sustainability. Um, we basically help them figure out how going green can benefit their business, uh, how to make it work in their team, where they should start. And uh, as coaches, we see ourselves as coaches, not as consultants, uh, coaching them uh, in uh, around the steps to take and connecting them. Connecting is the word I want to really focus here on, Laurie. Connecting them with others in the community so that we can reach the tipping point that uh, Malcolm Gladwell often talked about in his books. Uh, and I think if I went back to my earlier slides about why aren't businesses getting involved, because I, I don't think we've reached a tipping point. And what I'm hoping in, in your, with your help uh, and even exposing uh, uh, this uh, presentation or discussion rather, conversation we're having to your network, that we can start to build more and more um, acknowledgement and understanding and reach a tipping point that uh, uh, can move us forward in this whole issue of uh, addressing the climate crisis we're trying to work towards. Harry, okay I think, I, and Harry, I think the advice that you're sharing, I know your focus is York Region and you've got a lot of experience there, but if somebody uh, was interested in something you had to say or you would still be, and they were, let's say in the U.S., uh, they would still be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm kind of your fading out a little bit on me over here, Laurie, but uh, uh, no question about that. Uh, the stuff I'm talking about today is, is uh, universally applied anywhere in North America, anywhere in the world. Uh, uh, the, the, the thoughts that we have, the way we're looking at it, the, the benefits that we're looking at. In fact, to be more, more practical in terms of addressing your question, uh, uh, we're actually working with the Ontario government now uh, with their energy and water reporting regulations for large buildings, uh, which is a program that asks buildings over 50,000 square feet in uh, uh, Ontario to report their energy and water reuse through a reporting tool called Portfolio Manager. And, and why do I say that? Because that whole tool and program borrows from the EPA in the United States. Uh, uh, I uh, was successful in getting our organization some resources from Natural Resources Canada to assist the province of Ontario to uh, uh, do this program in, in Ontario because the first thing that you do uh, in the benchmarking program is to measure what you're currently doing. And that's what we do in ClimateWise. One of our, our first uh, actions is to measure uh, a members' business emissions. Because uh, you, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Uh, uh, so um, uh, certainly, yeah, the stuff that we're doing very much uh, goes back and forth between the U.S., Australia. Uh, we don't have, com uh, we have comparable organizations, not part of the Green Economy Canada Network uh, and other parts of the world. So yes, absolutely. Everything I'm saying is applicable to others. Uh, so when we work with a member, uh, we're talking to them about uh, uh, migrating to a sustainable business uh, a model is, is uh, will save them money. Um, their employees are are more committed, particularly the millennials, although I always get a little bit funny when I say that because I'm committed to it as well. I'm, like I said at our Innovation Toronto event, I'm not a millennial, uh, but that's what our, our more current employees are looking for. When you're part of our organization, you're on top of the incentives, you know what kind of regulatory changes are, are going to be coming downstream that might impact your business. And of course, at the end of the day, your consumers, your customers, your stakeholders are looking for you to uh, uh, do um, actions and undertake commitments that achieve uh, energy emissions. So there's lots of bottom line benefits to being part of the ClimateWise initiative, uh, to just doing the right things. Uh, but it's also about building a movement. 
And at the end of the day, uh, we're about building a movement. And that's not kind of the wording that you would use in a private sector organization. That's why uh, groups like ClimateWise, the Green Economy Canada organizations are all anchored in various hubs, not-for-profit hubs across Ontario. So some benefits clearly there uh, for the program. So I was thinking in response to some of your questions that we had prior to this, uh, and I will talk about if we have time later on about what we actually do here, but I'm, I'm less concerned about a sales pitch. I'm more concerned about people understanding what it is they can do. So what, what we're for, what I call foundational ways uh, of something people, small and medium sized businesses can do to address uh, the climate crisis. So I just kind of focus on this way. Uh, and one of them is take a risk, but take a risk to ask your employees, your tenants, your stakeholders for their ideas and participation about what to do with respect to the climate crisis. And I use a little slide uh, my, on the slide, right hand side, a little cartoon. We all make assumptions that only we have the answers, that others don't have the answers, or they might feel that I'm weak if I ask them a question about, I don't know what to do. And I, I put this little cartoon here with this uh, head CEO at the top of the table with a grim look on his face and six other people sitting around with their own comments. And they're wondering, what did I do wrong? I'm toast, uh, why doesn't he like me? And is all he's thinking about is that we're running low on pencils. My point around that is you have to be brave and be able to ask your employees, ask your tenants, ask your, your stakeholders questions about what do they think you should be doing in your organization about, genera about generating ideas to address this climate crisis. Don't assume that they don't know don't assume that they're gonna question you if you don't have the answer, but be brave enough to start the conversation, just as you are today, Laurie, with this. The other part is you need to be curious. You know, do you know uh, what your current impacts are? Do you know what your business is producing right now in terms of GHG emissions as a result of your operations? Do you know what you're producing in terms of waste and how much is, the, is uh, being diverted? If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And I've talked a little bit about the energy and water reporting program, so I won't go back onto that. So that's the second thing you need to do. So ask the question, start the conversation, take a risk. Second thing is, is measure what you're currently doing. It doesn't cost you very much to do that. In fact, we'll do it for you for free, uh, but there's lots of tools to figure that out. The third thing is show some leadership. You need to set a target uh, to reduce 10%, 20%, uh, pull it out of the air, be it aspirational, or build it from the bottom ground up uh, in terms of identifying the things that can, you can do. But the key thing is to set a target. A group like Electra, who Utilities, who is one of our members and certainly not a small and medium-sized organization, they're much larger, they set a target and they're doing some pretty innovative things around reducing uh, their fleet travel to reduce uh, greenhouse emissions from their operations. On a smaller way, Here's an interesting one for you is what people need to do is take action. Don't fuss about understanding all the stuff that you need to do. Just take action. Action, not understanding creates change. And that sounds like a little bit of a contradiction, but it's not. So if you do something, uh, you've done a little bit of research, you understand that you've got a crisis, you've got to deal with something, but do something and watch how it changes behaviors. We just had an experience with one of our smaller members, Reese's Farm Market in uh, Stouffville, small little kitchen operation, produces bread and meals. Uh, uh, they became part of the ClimateWise initiative. We work with them and they decided to do something. 
They put in air curtains uh, on their doors. They put in a new ceiling to stop air flow circulation so that warm air from the kitchen would stay where it is and not uh, uh, overheat other parts of the building. And as a result of doing that, they started to see their staff take on a whole bunch of other things to do around waste reduction. Let's clean out the, the frying pans of the grease before we throw it in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the drain. So you just need to take action. Don't spend all your time analyzing. Take action and observe the impact that you have. So four foundational ways, uh, something to do to address the climate, uh, climate crisis. Um, I'm just going to talk about a couple of other organizations who have already done this. Maybe we'll have time at the end of this to talk speci specifically about our program, uh, but I'm interested in you understanding that groups like your credit union uh, in Ottawa uh, took some action. They're one of our hubs, they made some huge savings from uh, electricity by just introducing uh, uh, some new billing systems, some new automation systems. Took some leadership, the guy on the right, the, the left-hand side of my slide, uh, was the uh, CEO of the uh, Your Credit Union, passionate supporter of Green Economy Canada, decided to do something and save some significant uh, resources in doing that. Um, groups like Walter uh, Walker em uh, Emulsions uh, in one of our uh, partner hubs in Hamilton uh, initiated a project, uh, cost them some money, yes, yeah, $7,000, $70,000, but made some, had a payback in about two years. They took some action, reduced their natural gas by 18,000, cubic meters, uh, lots of water savings, and saved $43,000 a year. Two-year payback for, for just deciding to do something different. Very Forum in, uh, in the Waterloo area was a model uh, organization. They actually had an increase in workforce. While they were doing that, they had a 77% reduction in their greenhouse gas emissions. So they took some actions which uh, reduced the greenhouse gases immensely through the involvement of the uh, Waterloo organization, which is part of our, our network. And while they did that, their workforce actually increased and they had a $2 million savings uh, over, uh, over uh, uh, a short period of time. Uh, a real model and case study for all of us to look up to. What we like to do uh, when we get successes like this from Veriform to Walter Emulsions to Your Credit Union and to Reaches Farm Market is we're out there to celebrate their successes. We want people to be known for what they do. We want to profile the environmental champions in their community. And that's one of the reasons, Lori, why we do focus on a, a community focus so that we can build that network of people, celebrate their, their accomplishments, award their accomplishments at an annual uh, evening of recognition, uh, uh, which we've, uh, we've held three of them so far in York region. And, and the one, this one of the pictures in the middle with the young woman showing her award is a, a climate-wise award from the Lake Simcoe Regional Conservation Authority. So our whole focus is together, uh, we're demonstrating a more sustainable economy is possible, uh, but we're trying to take it in a way that uh, we're building a momentum to reach that tipping point for us all to do the right thing. Yeah, I got, I got you here, Harry. I, I love the examples that you shared and the very simple philosophy that you also shared. In every one of those, I can see your simple recipe, and that is engage people for ideas, like ask the question, how could we be better? And I love that. It's so simple, but it's so engaging. And you get minds rallying around the table to solve the problem as well as engagement. So you get solutions as well as engagement. That's one. The second thing you said was um, what gets measured gets managed, right? So if you don't know how much you're expending, 
And of course, I work with engineers, and I know you have too. So we have a corollary to that expression, what gets measured gets valued. Mm. And so if it makes it visible. And one great thing about humans is that we are competitive. So once you set a target, we generally try to strive to beat that target. So that's important. That's two. Number three is leadership, to set a goal. And number four is actually an implementation plan, taking action. It can be simple things. What are the three things we're all going to commit to this year? And I I really, I just love the simplicity of the formula that you've shared. And uh, I really congratulate you for the impact that you've made in those few organizations that you've shared. You can see how it's substantially moved the needle for those organizations. And the, the last thing I'll say before I, I, you continue, Harry, is I think we really struggle to be able to support the small to medium-sized organizations. To your point, they don't have big, sophisticated sustainability departments. And mm-hmm. something as simple as that will really help them make progress. And regardless if you work for a big, medium, or small company, real estate and the built environment, let's say it like that, represents 40% of impact. And we have a responsibility, regardless of how large our company is, to play a leadership role in making progress. And I think your simple formula is so, it's, it's just so eloquent in, in the way, in its simplicity and its effectiveness. And I thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah, well, it works across our, our network. Um, this is the formula that the, uh, the seven hubs that are mentioned uh, from Green Economy Canada uh, apply. Uh, our objective was to keep it uh, as simple as possible. Um, what I've tried to do in our discussion here as well is really kind of talk about, I think, some of the fundamental problems that do get in the way. And I think they're probably, in some cases, more problems that are, are significant for the small and medium-sized enterprises because they they don't have uh, the same sort of margins and flexibility as some of the larger organizations. But we do have a unique uh, situation uh, um, in, the, in the GHTA, uh, so not just York Region, but the GHTA, where a lot of the, uh, the built environment, which you, you thank for reminding me of that, uh, accounts for about 40% of our greenhouse gas emissions. A lot of that built environment is, is owned by uh, commercial real estate firms and property management firms uh, who are doing some great and wonderful things, uh, uh, for absolutely for sure. Um, but there's still a large segment of that, uh, of that sector that uh, really hasn't kind of stepped up to the plate and uh, uh, has a, have not involved the many, many businesses or created an opportunity for the many businesses within their um, properties to, to act on, uh, on climate activities. And they have a unique opportunity uh, to um, facilitate that kind of activity. Uh, it's happening in the large organizations for sure, uh, but when you get down to kind of more the the class B, maybe class C buildings, uh, uh, which do take up a, a large portion of the market, um, things are just not happening the same way. Even though uh, we get businesses within those uh, buildings wanting to do something, they often shy away from it uh, uh, because it's not their building. And how do they influence something? And we've already signed a lease, and the lease is. Uh, so it becomes a bit of a, a bit of a vicious circle. Uh, so while we make the, the formula uh, simple for people to get involved in, uh, sometimes there's a complexity that uh, gets in the way. And then, the, then we still come back to that short-termism. Uh, you know, what's in front of them? Uh, 
uh, what's urgent seems to get, get addressed and the important things uh, such as the climate crisis uh, activity um, doesn't uh, get addressed. And I have to come back and, and harp on that because I can see it in the evidence. In the, the last uh, two and a half years I've been here at the ClimateWise Network, we haven't really substantially increased our membership a lot. And a lot of that is because of the uncertainty on the, on the political side as well. Uh, and that's, that's disappointing. Uh, disappointing to me when we see uh, the strong evidence of what's happening in our environment and, and to not to see people literally rushing to our doors to look for a little bit of help. Uh, um, it seems to be a business as usual scenario and, and I don't understand really why people haven't got it yet. Yeah, especially from a not-for-profit, right? Like yeah. there's a certain amount of objectivity in your advice. So, um, yeah. so far, so good. Sound advice so far. So what else have you got to share with us today, Harry? Well, uh, you asked me a question uh, about uh, a book and, and that was really an interesting question because I, I have, uh, when I did my second master's degree at Concordia, I read a lot. That program, first of all, involved getting in touch with yourself as an individual before you could intervene in human systems. Uh, so I did a lot of reading, but one of them that always stands out to me that I think is so much aligned with what you're trying to do in terms of your leading innovation at work uh, uh, program is Mark Meg Wheatley, um, who is actually a change management expert out of the U.S., uh, quite renowned for her work called uh, Leadership in the New Science. Uh, she wrote a book called There's Nothing, she's done a book called actually called The Simple Conversation to Restore Hope uh, for the Future of Turning to One Another. Uh, the actual title doesn't show at the top of the book here. I don't know why I did the slide the way I did, but it's called Turning to One Another. And this book is all about starting the conversation. It's not about starting the conversation around climate change. It's about taking the risks to reach out and to build a community. And once you build that community, to acknowledge that there's nothing more powerful than a community that discovers what's, what it cares about. So that community can be within X business. It could be within a geographical area. It could be your company at uh, BGIS. That's the community, helping them to discover what, that, what they care about. And once they discover that, um, they can do some powerful things around taking action, deciding to set a target, asking sort of difficult questions and, and not being, uh, um, not being um, uh, afraid to do so, because that's what's going to make the change uh, to how we do things. I, have I, some think other I, I think that's a wonderful book and I love book recommendations. So thank you, Harry. I think not only networking, but anchoring in the immediate community is definitely, I think I'll call it a trend, but I don't think it's going away. I think it just becomes a sustainable way of working and build skills to be able to foster that. So that's not a topic that anyone's ever recommended to me, Harry. And I thank you because I do think it's an important topic. Yeah, well, when I thought about the question, I thought, okay, well, she's looking for a technical book that gives you all the tools, tips and techniques. Uh, but I think we have to be a little bit more foundational and say that we already have those resources. They're within us. Uh, here's a book that talks about how you can use them and what impact uh, uh, they are going to help to have because ultimately you as the leader, you as the individual in the organization are that instrument of change. And if you are comfortable uh, with some of your own fears and aspirations, uh, you're going to be comfortable with asking some questions that are going to be powerful and are going to get things changed uh, in your organization. And, and what we have at ClimateWise is very a simple little tool 
to allow you to execute on that. And my, my second piece around this was going to be a book, but I decided not to. We're essentially a summation of the process that uh, we go through uh, with our members, helping them to come up with a target, uh, get them engaged, uh, by entering into their organization, asking some questions about what they care about, what have they been doing that's different, what are they worried about in the future, uh, how have they tried to address that. Um, we ask them, do you know what you're currently um, producing by way of waste or emissions? Uh, can we help you measure that? Here's a way, here's some tools to do that. And here's some ideas about developing an action plan. If you're going to develop an action plan, then you need to set up a green team to understand what it is that the people in your organization want to do, what's on their mind, what do they see that you might not see. And then with that action plan, we can build a target, uh, set a target to reduce uh, uh, your impact on the environment to address the climate crisis. So some of the uh, material in this slide and the following slide sort of kind of sequentially maps out the process. Uh, brainstorm ideas, ask for some help, do some measurements on ROI. Uh, so the, the little two-slider that I've got here, I hope it's going to be available on this presentation that you can share with others, but there's also a book that's available from Green Economy Canada called A, uh, a Climate Action uh, uh, Guide that organizations can use to give them some foundation in which to work from. And I want to say foundation because every organization is unique. Uh, so you don't want to tie everybody else and anybody into a just a sort of a very root kind of process. You need to have a little bit of flexibility to account for the uniqueness of the, the organization and its leadership. And actually, that's yeah, pretty much ahead. it. That's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. Harry, I mean, just fantastic collection of resources and references. We'll make sure when we share uh, this video and, and download in the community, everything you've mentioned is just one click away. Is there anything, just before we sign off, uh, how would people stay in touch with you? Can you share your website or social media connections? If people want to follow up, tell us how Absolutely. they can get into, into touch with you so that they can leverage somebody with your amazing expertise. As, and as we mentioned earlier, it doesn't have to be in your immediate region. I think if you care about uh, you know, climate crisis and climate change as much as we do, I'm sure we'd be willing to help anyone from anywhere. But so how would somebody get in touch with you, Harry, and, and uh, well, promote us on your social media? Yeah, well, it's as simple as a click away on our, on our website, uh, windfallcenter.ca uh, backslash climatewise, and uh, you'll find us. And all the information that I've been talking about today uh, is there in various ways, but that's a way to connect with us. So it's, uh, I can, um, I don't, that didn't put that up here i can do that uh our our, our url but it's uh windfallcenter.ca backslash climate wise and that's our website and uh, our information on climate wise is there and our benchmarking help center in fact uh, again laura we have a benchmarking help center that services buildings uh, across ontario on how to use the uh, portfolio manager reporting tool which is again all about measuring your current energy consumption interpreting that into greenhouse gas emissions and then take some action on that. But windfallcenter.ca backslash climatewise will, uh, uh, will reach us. One click That's away. That's great. We'll make sure that that URL is at the bottom of this video for our audience when it's available in the archives and they can click on anything, including the book references and get in touch with you right away, Harry. 
So, uh, and, and by the way, the benchmarking is very interesting. I get a lot of asks about that. So, and again, especially that, that demographic of organization that maybe can't afford to hire, you know, people to do that kind of exercise or pay for some of those expensive memberships. I, I think anything that you can do to share with them that helps them create the business case and understanding of their opportunity is great. So, uh, Harry, I want to thank you so much for your time and your generous advice and your generous access to resources. And it was just really a pleasure meeting you and talking with you and following up with you. And if I can do anything else to support you, you can count on me. And, and I thank you so much for your shared passion on this really important topic. Yeah, well, thank you for your time. I, I never really fully appreciated that uh, when I had gone to the Toronto Innovation event for $20 and free pizza that I'd uh, uh, meet somebody as, as uh, innovative and as passionate as, as you are. So uh, um, we'll make our own connections, uh, you and I, and uh, we'll make a difference in terms of uh, what needs to be done uh, from the uh, climate crisis perspective. So I will be following up with you uh, or a couple of ideas that uh, I hope you can share some thoughts with me on. Happy to do so. And we have this amazing like-minded tribe of people Please, if you have any ideas or suggestions for Harry, please do reach out to him directly and see how we can all help each other. You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at laurierowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N.com. Thank you for listening.